Hello, sports fans, and welcome to Let Me Speak, the show that shares sports' biggest headlines explained, uninterrupted, and maybe a little audacious. I'm Joe Braverman, and today's topics we'll be discussing are Bengals or Rams, a full preview of Super Bowl 56, plus the biggest winners and losers from the NBA trade deadline, and the headlines from the Winter Olympics in Beijing so far. It's episode 60 of Let Me Speak, and it starts right now. Again, everybody here on Thursday, February 10th, 2022, episode number 60. I can't believe it. 60 episodes of Let Me Speak. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. I say it week after week, but now we've hit 60 episodes. And I got to be honest, there's not many people. I'll be I'll be totally honest. Not many people listen or follow or whatever. But if you've been dedicated or loyal or even if you're a new listener, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day, taking a listen to what could be some crazy sports thoughts, uh, depending on whatever it is. But I appreciate you taking the time out and taking a listen to this episode. Elsewhere, here in the recording studio of Swamp Scott, Massachusetts, it has gotten very warm here as we've hit February. We've hit 50 degrees. We've got some really good temperatures. The sun is shining. actually went out for a little bit earlier today it was really really a good day out there so i'm taking advantage of this warm weather before it gets cold once again and we really hit the month of february but of course you can't talk about february without the super bowl the biggest game possibly of the entire sports calendar coming at you this is the latest it's ever been you know it's always you know first sunday of february but obviously they put one extra game in the regular season everything gets pushed back a week So the Super Bowl will be this Sunday. And of course, from the end of the NFC Championship, everyone was talking about the Rams and the Bengals. Who's got the advantage once 6.30 kickoff happens at SoFi Stadium in LA? And we've got a full preview, a full preview of this game. And when you're asking me about some of the keys and the X factors for this game, I think obviously the Bengals offensive line is going to be under a microscope once again, as they've been for all year long, you go back all the way to the draft and you're thinking, Oh, this offensive line, just get them, you know, Sewell or uh, one of those offensive linemen who are ranked in the top 10 and Joe Burrow automatically becomes better because why did he tort Tara's ACL? Because he got sacked and that offensive line couldn't protect him. But then they go and they draft Jamar Chase, you know, his old college teammate. And sure enough, look at what's happened. And it's kind of been the same Bengals offensive line. They've struggled. Obviously, Joe Burrow has been sacked the most out of any quarterback. But I think for this game, it's going to be more, they're going to be more under a microscope than ever before. Because when you look at this Rams defensive line, you don't have to keep saying it over and over how many weapons they have. But 
this D-line is so much better than what they faced in the postseason, okay? They're better than the Raiders, they're better than the Titans, and they're better than the Chiefs in that defensive uh, line for LA. I mean, you've got Aaron Donald and Leonard Floyd, both in the top 15 in terms of quarterback pressures. In the postseason, the team has five sacks. They've picked off quarterbacks four times. So this defense is really, really important for LA to get the get ahead of the offensive line for Cincinnati and really just take advantage of, you know, kind of maybe the weakest point for that Cincinnati team. That's how I see it. You know, that's the big thing for me is that Bengals offensive line. How well are they going to protect Burrow from the monsters like Donald, Leonard Floyd, Von Miller, all those guys. I don't know if they're going to be able to stop them. I mean, we've saw, we saw against Tennessee, you know, Burrow got sacked nine times, but they still won the game. So not saying it's totally out of the question, you know, if the Rams get, you know, four sacks or more, then they're going to win this game. You know, it's not entirely sure. But in terms of getting Joe Burrow unsettled in the pocket, I think this Rams team is going to do a good job of doing that. If they can do it, then they abuse that offensive line, then they will have a big advantage in this game. But sticking with the defense, I think both defenses are adept at stopping the run and making their quarterback beat you. I mean, you look at in the regular season, Cincy and L.A., fifth and sixth, respectively, in rush defense. So on the offensive side of things, establishing the run early is going to be huge for both teams. Huge. And I like both the running games that both these teams have. You have Rams uh, with Cam Akers, who's coming back healthy from that torn Achilles. And then you got Sonny Michelle, former Super Bowl champion with New England. And then on the other side, you got Joe Mixon, who is a great dual threat. And then Samaje Pirine has been good in the backfield this postseason. I think that's going to be another crucial factor on the offensive end is establishing the run early. Whoever establishes that run early on is going to be a huge advantage. But then again, the defense to stop them, it's going to be very, very important. And again, I, it's, it's hard to say which defensive line I prefer better because I think they're both really, really good. But the Rams, I, I trust their offensive line, their offensive line, a little bit more than I do the Bengals. Because you got uh, Sam Hubbard and Trey Hendrickson, who have been incredible for Cincinnati this year. They've got five and a half of the Bengals, eight sacks in the postseason. But when you look at the offensive line on both ends of it, you got at left tackle Andrew Whitworth, the right tackle Rob Havenstein. I think they have the experience and they're capable of that challenge. I think they'll be able to protect Stafford uh, a lot better than the Bengals offensive line. Now, if you ask me, you know, is this a runaway for the Rams? You know, if it was any other young team, you know, they would be affected by this ginormous stage. But throughout the entire season, you know, you go to like the second half of the regular season and then in the playoffs, Joe Burrow and the Bengals are just full of swagger, full of confidence. I say it week after week after week. And Burrow, he's got experience on the big stage. I mean, he won the national championship at LSU only two years ago. That's like basically the JV version of the Super Bowl, essentially, is the college football national championship. And especially you got the playoff as well getting underway. He won that one. So I, I don't think this is a runaway. I don't think this is a runaway on either, either side of the ball. 
And I think, you know, this Bengals team aren't going to be overwhelmed. I think when you look at that roster, what they've done in this postseason, how much confidence they have and what they've shown, I think this is a team that's not going to get overwhelmed by the huge spotlight, you know, the, the long halftime break to do the halftime show or, you know, taking breaks for commercials or any kind of Super Bowl pageantry, stuff like that. I don't think they're going to get overwhelmed like most young teams would be. So that's what I see on the Cincinnati side of things. But back to the matchups themselves, I think when you look at the L.A. side of things, the fun matchup to watch is going to be Jalen Ramsey covering Jamar Chase. You know, I don't really expect Sean McVay and that coaching staff to really move Ramsey away from Chase. You know, they might put him on one or two plays to Higgins or to Boyd or anything like that. You know, I think for Ramsey, though, I don't think he's going to be able to fully stop Jamar Chase. I don't think that's going to happen. It's just a matter of containing him. How well can he contain him? Can he limit the yards after the catch? That's going to be the big thing for Ramsey is very little separation on that defensive end for the Rams. Are they going to be able to do it? Is he going to be able to contain him? We'll have to see, but I think that'll be a big factor on the defensive side of things because we know what the D-line can do and we know what most of the secondary can do. But about Jalen Ramsey himself, he has said, he said in media day, whoever your best receiver is, who you think it is, I'm going to be up to the test. I'm going to do it. So we'll, we'll see what Ramsey can do. I mean, this guy, again, not short on confidence, so we'll have to see what he does with whatever defensive assignment he's given. But on the offensive side of things for LA, I think stopping Cooper Cup and Odell Beckham Jr. might be too much for this Cincinnati secondary. That's what I really think. I mean, look at the numbers so far in this postseason. 44 catches on 55 combined targets between the two. They've combined for over 600 yards receiving. You know, I, I like Mike Hilton. I like Jesse Bates. You know, Eli Apple's kind of a consistent guy, but he played well in the last couple of games. I just don't know, you know, the way these, the way these two guys are clicking, the way Stafford's been able to find these two and they've been able to create separation. I think it's going to be too much for Cincinnati secondary. Again, similar to Jalen Ramsey containment. That's the thing is you're not going to stop them. They're still going to probably put up some big numbers, but it's about containing them. And that's kind of what I see on the offensive side of things. But of course, the, the big story has been about the quarterbacks. I mean, this is a feel-good story either way you look at it. You got Matt Stafford, who's been in the league for over a decade, and he finally got his first Super Bowl appearance after basically being locked up in Detroit. And then you got Joe Burrow only in his second season in Cincinnati, not making – they hadn't won a playoff game in over 30 years, and now they're all the way back into the Super Bowl. It's a feel-good story between these two. And me personally, I would be happy seeing either one win the Super Bowl. But in terms of the gameplay, they are going to be tasked with limiting the mistakes and the turnovers during these playoffs. I mean, they've been done, they've been doing a really good job of it. Stafford has completed the ball 72% of the time. He's thrown six touchdowns and only one pick. On the other side, Joe Burrow, four touchdowns, two picks, minus the Tennessee Titans game. He's only been sacked three times so far. So, you know, I think that's the biggest factor of them all is how well do the quarterbacks play? Does Matt Stafford eliminate the Detroit demons and does he not get overwhelmed by finally being on the Super Bowl stage? You got to remember, these are two 
number one picks, Stafford in 09, Burrow in 2020. And Stafford's more accomplished. Burrow looks like he's on his way. But this is the, to, to me, this is the biggest factor in the game. This is the biggest factor, is the quarterback play. Whichever quarterback limits those mistakes and the turnovers is going to be the biggest difference. That's going to be the difference, and that's who's going to win the game. Now, in terms of a game prediction, I mean, honestly, for L.A., you don't bring in star players like Matt Stafford and Odell Beckham Jr. and Von Miller to lose a Super Bowl. You know, you saw it from the minute in March they got Matthew Stafford. They were going all in to win a Super Bowl. And I love what Cincinnati has done recently, but I just don't think it's enough. I feel like the Rams are going to step up in this game, and I think they're going to win the Super Bowl. You know, I did predict them to make the Super Bowl. Obviously, it was against Kansas City in the preseason, but I still expected them to be where they are, even without all these uh, additions later in the year, like Beckham and Miller and Eric Weddle. Keep that in mind, veteran presence. Um, I just, I think LA is going to win this one. I slightly favor them. I think it's going to be within a touchdown. I don't think it's going to be any kind of blowout. You know, I think at a minimum, it's going to come down to a touchdown plus an extra point. If you want to do the total seven, but I think within a touchdown, the Rams are going to find themselves as super bowl champions. That's what I think is going to happen with this game. But like I said, we said we do a full preview and i'm not just talking about the game i'm talking about all the pageantries so i would like to throw it to a segment we recorded earlier today where a special guest joins me to preview a little something different going on during the super bowl so as i said we're doing a full preview of the super bowl and we're going to dive into our halftime show and we got to bring a special guest onto another westfield state alum a vocal teacher who has her own website is uh, elstrattonvocals.com. Emily Stratton joins the show. Emily, thank you for taking the time and uh, previewing the halftime show with us. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, so I, I knew when we were talking, when I thought about previewing, you know, the full Super Bowl, you know, going through everything, I knew you had to get a vocal teacher out there. And I knew you were one of the first persons I went out to. And obviously I know you're not the most well-versed in sports, but I'm sure you watch the Super Bowl, whether it be for the commercials or for the halftime show every single year. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's kind of like something that you just have to do, you know, especially for like, whether it be for the commercials or the actual game or the halftime show, it's still fun. Yeah. So we'll get into the halftime show really quickly. Uh, I just want to talk about uh, really briefly your time uh, since Westfield State, since you graduated. Obviously, you and I both have some theater music uh, background in there. You decided to turn that into becoming a vocal teacher uh, for most people. People can sign up and uh, they can learn from you. What gave you the inspiration to uh, become a vocal teacher after your time at Westfield? So I had a lot of vocal issues growing up like a lot. <laughs> um, and I never really um, got coaching myself until I did go to college. It was like a few months before college and then into college, I finally got actually coached on my voice and everything. And I just decided after, uh, you know, once college was over, COVID had hit. So plans to do something else, like be a performer, go to California really fell through. And I decided that I really my passion was 
you know, it lied elsewhere. <laughs> it was really <laughs> with helping other people with their own vocal issues and kind of accomplishing their own vocal goals. And that's kind of what uh, started my business. Yeah, it's a really great business. I mean, you're very active in your social media pages on Instagram. You got some TikToks out there. There are some things that I'm learning about, you know, learning something new every day. It's not just about, you know, singing from your voice. It's, you know, chest, it's stomach, it's everything internal. And I think you do a great job at really exposing those because you look at the average guy like me, who's not really deep in the music uh, quite like you, and uh, you learn all these new things. So I think it's a, an incredible tool that uh, you've been using. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I'm so glad I can help people regardless of whatever it is I'm doing, like a little post here and there. Yeah, it's your TikToks are very funny. I gotta add, you know, putting <laughs> putting some putting some voiceovers is really cool. Um, now shifting over to uh, the halftime show. Obviously, you said you know every year you watch the Super Bowl for whatever it is. When you look back at the halftime shows of uh, the past, you know what are some of the ones that really stick out in your mind, and some that you really gravitate uh, towards. So some of my favorite ones that I remember more than others because it's it's kind of you know there's so much every year it's such an extravagant event this is a halftime show you know something for performers i really enjoyed the one with lady gaga where she was like diving <laughs> off of the <laughs> the top of the stadium you know supposedly and then you <laughs> know like a spider on like the little wires <laughs> um and also the Bruno Mars one. I really enjoyed that one. It was kind of simple when he was performing because it was just like, you know, on the stage with, you know, the different outfits. It was the same outfit, but it was gold, which I love. <laughs> <laughs> um, and th so those just like really stuck out for me to me for some reason. They just were really entertaining. Yeah, I think it, it's probably more so about, you know, learning to be a performer rather than just like being a good musician and just sing your songs out there. How important do you think is it to really have a performance and sort of like a stage presence essentially in these kind of shows rather than just being able to sing on stage in front of millions. It's, I think it's everything, you know, there's certain artists that, you know, I feel like would have a really hard time with it. The one that was interesting about the Bruno Mars halftime show was you're kind of like, Oh really? Like he's, he's the one who's doing it. That's interesting. But then he outdid himself, right? It was really, really entertaining and really fun. And, you know, with music videos and everything like that, you can do a few takes <laughs> if you feel like you're not being, you know, musical enough or kind of having that nice, fun stage presence. But I feel like the artists that have big extravagant shows already and have that stage presence are going to do a really good job with like a halftime show, I think. Yeah, especially with, you know, the limited time that they have. I mean, speaking of last year, we had the weekend. Obviously, it was a little limited uh, with the pandemic. So some things were... Uh, not quite the same as shows in the past. How do you think The weekend was able to uh, work around sort of the COVID protocols and stuff like that? What did you think of his show last year? And could it uh, basically inspire some shows uh, in the future? Yeah, I think, I think uh, he did a really, really good job with the circumstances you know it was very very different they had cardboard cutouts in the in the stadium too you know <laughs> that's like you're not getting to perform for the audience that you normally would so i think the fact that he even you know went on with it is really really great and i think what he did with it was just right for you know the circumstances of covid and everything like that and i think in the future 
it really like showed a lot of performers that you can work around anything to make sure that you have a good show. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look at what the theater industry has done since this time, the way they've been able to work around things. Now, as I, we mentioned, there are some things that can linger into the future. Are there any performers on sort of your bucket list in terms of you hope have a halftime show in the future? I'm sure you've got plenty, but just what are uh, just a few names that you hope uh, in the, the near future uh, perform so, a halftime show? I, <laughs> there's only really one that I really want to see and it won't ever happen because they aren't alive anymore. But I want so badly for there to be a Queen or Freddie Mercury halftime show. So badly. And that obviously will never happen, unfortunately. But that's just something that would be so amazing, I feel like. It would be just such a good show. I mean, Adam Lambert does a pretty good uh, Queen impression, you know, Freddie Mercury. So they still kind of tour. So it's still a possibility, I guess. It probably won't be the same. But that's true. Yeah. If they could do that, something like with their songs and everything with Adam Lambert doing that impression, I feel like that'd be just as good. Yeah. I mean, we kind of had a cover with like Paul McCartney a few years ago, but that wasn't quite the same as like, you know, the Beatles or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So getting back to uh, the vocal teaching side of things, um, how if if you were, you know, tasked with maybe coaching someone who's, you know, maybe the, the main target in terms of performing on the Super Bowl, You only get, you know, 15 minutes. You got to sing. Sometimes you got to dance. So how would you coach someone who is performing uh, in the halftime show, you know, be it vocally or whatever kind of exercise they might have to do? I would, the first thing is it's such a big production, right? So you have to move around. There's always like a lot of movement and dancing and everyone's so like, you get to feed off the energy of the audience, which is awesome. I would say the one thing though is, when you're moving around a lot, the one thing that is going to go <laughs> is your breath energy and kind of just like remembering to breathe and actually, you know, make sure you have a good foundation before you actually sing. You know, if you lose that, then what happens is your voice, um, you know, your muscles in here have to do a lot of work like in your larynx. They have to overcompensate for what you lost in your breath and kind of like your, you know, ribs and everything expanding and moving around. And that's really tricky, especially if you're dancing a lot and you're kind of, you know, getting out of breath anyways. I'd say with the little breaks that you have, try to reset a little bit and like remember everything that you need to do to make your make sure that you're not straining yourself. And I'm sure it's really loud <laughs> too. You know, I'm sure they have, you know, the, the earpieces and everything, but making sure you're not trying to scream and sing over all the noise that's going on around you. And hopefully their, their, uh, you know, their earpiece will work. <laughs> Cause that would yeah. be awful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that's really crucial. I've seen earpieces all the time, how they're able to limit it. And I think that's what it makes, as you said, Lady Gaga is so impressive because you said she was doing all these flips and stuff like that. And she was singing and she was dancing and she was moving all around. And I think that's what makes it much more impressive. Can you sort of describe, you mentioned like your in-betweens, taking your breaks. Like how would you sort of regroup yourself uh, in that kind of instance? Is there anything specifically that you would do? Like, would it just be sort of control your breathing or anything like that? Yeah, for me, it would be um, taking a second to like fully relax your body. And you can kind of do that while you're, you know, listening to everyone applaud you, (laughs) you know, just kind of like take it in a little bit. And I think the one thing too, is making sure that like, at least your muscles in your shoulders and chest are relaxed. That way you're not like gasping with your chest or anything. Cause that's a big 
that's a big issue when we go, like if you go running or something, right. You can start to gas because you're out of breath. Like <gasps> there's a lot of that going on. Try to see if you can focus that energy a little bit lower and then just fully relax everything. If you need to like take a second and like shake out your body too, you go for it. <laughs> I don't know if like <laughs> you'd be able to in like a setting like the halftime show. Cause it is like you're on stage the whole time, but that'd be kind of my advice for that. Oh, I'm sure if I ever get on the halftime show, I'll make sure to do all that that you just <laughs> said. Um, let's talk about this year's halftime show. It's a little different. It might be kind of out of our genre. It's the first time predominantly hip hop has been featured. You've got Dr. Dre, Eminem, Kendrick Lamar, Mary J. Blige and Snoop Dogg. Uh, what are some of your expectations? Because I'm I'm one of those people who think like these five people could have a halftime show ju with just themselves. And now they're all combining to try and fit like a ton of great songs and uh, moments within 15 minutes. So what are your expectations and what are you expecting to see at the halftime show this Sunday? I am so excited. <laughs> when I heard the lineup, I was so excited. I, I'm really, really uh, looking forward to seeing what they do. I know that's a thing too, is they have to fit so many different good songs and songs by great artists into just those 15 minutes. So I'm, I'm curious, I'm really curious to see how they're going to do that because it's going to be pretty difficult. I think, you know, I feel like it'll be something, uh, they either do really, really well or kind of fall a little bit short. Yeah. Is there one person out of those five in particular who you're really looking forward to seeing what they do? I'd say probably Dr. Dre and Eminem because they're like, you know, <laughs> Dr. Dre signed Eminem and everything. So it's kind of like looking forward to see how they uh, work together. If they do any of their songs that they have already together. I wonder, I'm curious about kind of what, the, what they'll do there. Yeah, the, I think the best part is you have a couple of these uh, performers who have like made songs together. So they'll be able to like flow into them, um, you know, all together. Um, now before we, we let you go, we got to get a game prediction. You know, I'm asking basically everyone, I know, like I said, you're not the biggest football person, but yeah. obviously, you know, I'm asking Cincinnati Bengals, LA Rams, you got the Rams playing in their home stadium. Do you think that helps them? What do you think about the game? Who do you pick? I, <laughs> well, I, you know, you sent me like some of the questions I was like, okay, <laughs> I feel like I have to think about this a little bit more. Um, <laughs> I think because it is a home game for the Rams, I my prediction is to more so towards the Rams. Just because of that. I mean, I don't know like too much about these teams. <laughs> we did that in the previous show. segment. Don't worry about that. We did that in the previous <laughs> segment. Yeah. Um, so I, I did think and like kind of write down that I do think that the Rams might have an advantage because they're more so like you know they're they're at their home you know it's more comforting and everything yeah they didn't have to travel they didn't have to get on an airplane like uh mm -hmm. cincinnati so that's a big factor but i mean the way that stadium is like it's an incredible stadium so what the players do what the performers do um and then just really briefly side note i didn't even ask you about this mickey guyton the national anthem do you think there's more pressure for her in performing that national anthem on the super bowl or would you just treat it as any other one uh, I'd say, I feel like there's always pressure for the national anthem, uh, just because it's, it's something that people go back to and like kind of rewatch to see who did it well. 
and who didn't, <laughs> you know, it's something like if, if you mess up, it's talked about, which is a lot of pressure. So I, I think that regardless, there always is pressure, but for a performer who's going to be, you know, performing the national anthem, I think that you should just treat it as any other game just for like your own sanity, <laughs> kind of like releasing some of your own nerves. That's that. Those are my two cents. I mean, it's hard enough to do it in front of, you know, however much that stadium holds, like 50,000 people. Now you got millions and millions and millions that really gets into your head. So we'll have to see what happens basically from national anthem all the way to uh, the end of the game. We'll see what happens. But Emily, thank you so much for taking your time uh, previewing the halftime show. Uh, for any listeners out there, tell them where they can find some of your pages. And if they maybe want some vocal lessons, where can they find you? So I have an Instagram page at El Stratton underscore vocal coaching, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a Facebook page as well. Same, same deal. And then my website is www.elstrattonvocalcoaching.com. So if you want to schedule a lesson with me, you can go to my website and there should be some about me sections and then a button to press schedule your lesson. And if Dr. Dre is watching, hopefully he'll take you up on those lessons. <laughs> Emily Stratton, <laughs> thank you so much again for taking your time. And I hope you enjoy the Super Bowl much like everyone else. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks again to Emily Stratton for previewing the Super Bowl halftime show. It's going to be a really fun Sunday to watch all throughout the Super Bowl from kickoff to trophy presentation. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. As now we shift to the NBA and today is trade deadline day. We got action still taking place as we speak. There's a 3 p.m. deadline. So I'm just going to throw out a disclaimer is that there we're going to be talking about the big the, the winners and losers what we think about the biggest moves, but there are still moves to be made, okay? We're looking at 12.41 p.m. right now, Eastern Standard Time. There could be more moves to be made, but we're just going to talk about some of the moves and the possible moves that we are seeing right now at this moment. Not talking about anything that could, that uh, has happened later on, but just all the moves that have been made so far at this time frame. We'll talk more about the official trade deadline when we get into next week we'll do a big first half preview before we head uh right into the all-star break now the big story of the deadline is about the nets and the sixers we're hearing reports that james harden wants out of brooklyn you know is philly going to give them ben simmons and a bunch of other packages but they're talking right now they're talking right now and i brought up you know james harden a few weeks ago talking about you know He's unhappy in Brooklyn, we're hearing reports. He's trying to get himself out of there. We're hearing from Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN saying he wants to get out of there, but he doesn't want to formally request the trade. Now, all of this has to do with Brooklyn losing nine straight, having a ton of injuries right now. But if I'm anyone, you know, like I said weeks ago, if I'm anyone on that Brooklyn management, GM, coaching staff, you know, I agree with Steve Nash that they should not trade James Harden. They do not give up on Harden during this season. I understand the struggling, but James Harden's struggling is still better than most guys they have on their team. Now, he is averaging the worst number since becoming a starter. 
when he got traded to Houston. I mean, he's got the lowest points per game at 22.3. He's only shooting 41.5% from the field, 33% from three. But still, 10 assists per game, eight rebounds per game, that's someone I would want. That's something I would want. And honestly, I'd get rid of Kyrie Irving before I get rid of James Harden, you know, unless there's something deeper going on in the locker room. If James Harden is saying, I'm done playing with Kyrie, I'm done playing with Durant, I want to get out of here. We don't know what that is. We don't know internally what's going on. But, you know, if we if we have a blind eye to that, in my eyes, I'd get rid of more of a locker room nuisance in Kyrie Irving than anyone else. And plus, if you're talking about swapping James Harden for Ben Simmons, Simmons is going to take away the offense that the Nets desperately need at this at this time. I mean, honestly, when you look at the roster, though, they've got injuries to basically their whole rotation right now, causing this nine-game losing streak, okay? KD is out. Kyrie's obviously a part-time player. Harden's missed the last couple of games. Aldridge is out. Uh, Joe Harris has been out. Paul Millsap is out, okay? That's basically their top five players have all been out with injuries and you're asking complimentary guys or guys that would maybe be the third option on the bench to basically say, we need you to go after the scoring. So I just wait until all those guys are healthy and then they can turn things around. I mean, obviously you want to avoid being in the play in, but in terms of Brooklyn side of things, this it's, it's a no brainer because Ben Simmons from what we've seen recently on the court, which is not much, you know, he takes away offense. He's a facilitator, but he does not score. And right now the Nets are looking for scoring. Okay. But just again, wait until all their guys are healthy. Now the schedule has been difficult. They've played Phoenix and lost golden state and lost. They've lost to Denver twice. And then obviously blown out versus Boston a few nights ago. But if I'm Brooklyn, I'm holding on to Harden with at least the potential that he can turn things around and get better on offense. But on the other side for Philly, this is a no brainer. If you see James Harden, you say, okay, give me, I'll give you whoever you want. Okay. It was stupid enough for Daryl Morey to hold on to Simmons anyway, all throughout this very point right now. But if you team up Harden with Joel Embiid, who many are saying right now could be the MVP in the NBA, that's a lethal, lethal, dangerous team in the East. They're not contenders yet, but if they add Harden and they go nuts, this is a no-brainer, no-brainer for Philly. They would be the big winner for picking up Harden and losing Ben Simmons. That would be huge, but that's a tale of two sides for this thing, though, is if you're Brooklyn, if I was in Brooklyn, I wouldn't make the trade. If I was in Philly, I wouldn't make the trade. So it's a lot of back and forth, and we'll just have to see if Brooklyn is willing to part with James Harden. I mean, they could wait until the summer possibly to do this, but in terms of the regular season going for a championship, having Harden with Durant and Irving gives you the best shot of winning this season, especially with the East wide open right now. Wide open, I mean. But those are two teams who are contending right now. Let's talk about a team that, is officially turning into tank mode, I believe, in terms of blowing up their rotation. I mean, Portland Portland Trailblazers have basically given up their entire roster, essentially. Earlier, we saw the Blazers send Norman Powell and Robert Covington to the Clippers. And now a few days ago, we saw them send their second best player, C.J. McCollum, to the Pelicans for Josh Hart, a couple of picks. 
and other stuff like that. Now, in from what we're hearing in reports, the idea for Portland is to try and build around Damian Lillard. Now, from what we're hearing about Lillard saying, I want to stay in Portland, I'm not requesting a trade, I'm staying here, staying here, staying here. I, I appreciate that, but in terms of the situation that's going on, this is full tank mode right now. It's full tank mode, and I don't know if Lillard wants to be around it. Now, it does make sense for Portland to try and work around it because, really, Portland, Oregon is not a free agency destination that we've seen in recent memory. They do become a uh, free agent destination because of this guy, the guy wearing number zero for the Trailblazers, Damian Lillard. You have him there. That seems like a huge, a huge piece that would attract any kind of free agents, you know, maybe like a, a John Wall if he opts out or a Bradley Beal, something like that. But I just don't see this working out if I'm in Lillard's side of things. I mean, I feel like it's only a matter of time until Lillard wants out the door. I don't know if he's going to say it publicly that I want to trade, but you have to think internally he wants to move. He wants to move. And he doesn't want to be in Portland if they're going to continue to stink and stink and stink. Now, the hard thing, though, about moving Lillard, if he wanted to trade him, is that that contract. That contract is huge. He's going to make over $40 million starting next season. He doesn't have a player option until 2024. He'll be an unrestricted free agent in 2025. So you're talking about Lillard. You know, he's 30 right now. He's in his early 30s. A few more years, he's going to be 33, 34. Who knows if he's past his prime? I mean, before the injury, Lillard was putting up the worst numbers of his career. They're good, but the worst numbers of his career. I just don't see this working out for the Trailblazers. That's why I think, you know, it's still early on in the before the trade deadline, but I think they're probably one of the biggest losers of this deadline for basically blowing up their rotation, hoping that Damian, they can find the pieces around Damian Lillard. I just don't, I don't see working out for the trailblazers. I, I really don't, you know, I, I don't see it happening on the other side of things. You know, the, the other team, the Pelicans who picked up McCollum, you look at this on paper, this is a lethal Pelicans team. I think for right now, they're a preliminary winner, but I'm not going to officially tag them on the winner side yet because this team struggles with defense and CJ McCollum, while he's great on offense, he's not necessarily a strong defender. I mean, the starting five, when you look at it right now for new Orleans, when they're healthy is Devonte Graham, CJ McCollum, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, Jonas Valanciunas. That's a really good, that's a really good lineup to have out there. Now, you know, CJ is averaging the worst number so far of uh, since he, uh, became a full-time starter, got that comeback player of the year. He's got 20 and a half points per game and he's shooting just over 43 and a half percent. So someone finally, other than Brandon Ingram can be relied on for offense in terms of uh, scoring production, which we have seen the Pelicans struggle with recently, but I think new Orleans, it all depends on Zion. It all depends on his health. If that foot injury is going to continue to plague him. I mean, we've seen it that he's rehabbing outside of New Orleans and he hasn't played at all this season. And there's no, there's really no sign of him playing at any time in the near future. Now, when you look at the standings, though, they still are in playoff contention. So maybe they're making a run for the postseason right now. 
Because if you look at it right now, in the Western Conference, they're sitting in that 10th and final playoff spot uh, for the play-in. One game up on Portland. I just don't... For, for this year, you know, are they championship contenders? Hell no. Not, not in a long shot. Are they trade contenders uh, or uh, championship contenders? But I think you're looking at the future because McCollum still has a few years on his contract. You had Brandon Ingram sign an extension. I, I don't know. I don't know if this is going to work, but it, to me, it's all dependent on if Zion is dedicated. If he's dedicated to, um, if he's dedicated to, to being in New Orleans and going after, you know, making a deep run, then maybe this lineup could do it. Maybe they could do it. I'm not 100% sure that they will be able to do it, but at least the potential is there for uh, everyone down in New Orleans. Now, sticking with trade deadline uh, moves that have happened on the deadline, obviously the big one uh, so far has been the four-team uh, trade with the Kings, the Bucks, uh, the Clippers, and the Pistons. So I'm just reading this really quickly. Dante DiVincenzo on his way to Sacramento. Marvin Bagley going to Detroit. Sergi Baca moves from the Clippers to the Bucks. Uh, Detroit is sending out multiple second-round picks. The Kings also get Josh Jackson and Trey Lyles. And the Clippers get Shemi Ojale and Rodney Hood in a four-team deal. Now, this happened uh, really quickly before uh, we got underway. So it's kind of a, a last-second turn, but... In terms of what I'm seeing for Sacramento, I'm confused. What are they doing? I'm not sure exactly what they're doing. Are they just getting depth to build around De'Aaron Fox? I'm not 100% sure. Because, I mean, they already got DeMontis Sabonis. They've got an all-star. But they gave up Tyrese Halliburton. You, pick, you gave up a guy that was third in rookie of the year voting last year. I mean, the Kings were doing nothing as usual, and I don't think this trade essentially moves the needle. I mean, unless they're going for that play-in spot, which they're only two or three games out of. They're hoping for a late-season turnaround. And uh, just just looking at what they've done so far, you know, it was good to get Sabonis, but it was bad to lose Halliburton because that could have been your next big three right there. De'Aaron Fox, Demonis Sabonis, Tyrese Halliburton. That could have been huge. That could have been huge. And then you have complimentary guys like Harrison Barnes and uh, you have Rashawn Holmes as well. I don't know what Sacramento is doing out there. I mean, let's face it. They lost to Boston by 60 a few games ago. By 60. Sacramento's a loser for me. I call them a loser in this one. And plus, Marvin Bagley was so disgruntled. Now he's going to an even worse team in Detroit. I like what Milwaukee did getting Serge Ibaka. That is huge coming off the bench. You know, I think early on, they're a winner for me. That's a, that's a winner for me. Uh, I think another winner also is Cleveland with what they did getting Karis LeVert. I mean, I'm not sure Indiana, if they're going for a full rebuild, why would you give up on LeVert? Especially if you gave up Sabonis and you're thinking about maybe giving up Miles Turner. I don't know why you would give him up if you're trying to build sort of a young core. But on Cleveland's side of things, you have another weapon on that offense to really make some noise. I mean, this was a guy who was the second leading scorer for his team, almost 19 points a game, shooting nearly 45% from the field. You pair him with Garland in the backcourt, you now have seven players on the active roster 
averaging over 10 points a game. That is dangerous. And I think the Cavs can win a playoff series. I think they can win a series. Now, notice I didn't say championship. I don't think they're going to win the championship just because they're too young. But in terms of the weapons they have, I think they can at least get to the conference semis, you know, with the East as wide open as it is. So Cleveland's a winner for me. And then lastly, you know, going back to Indiana, I think they're a loser in this one. You give up Sabonis, you give up Levert, you know, Jeremy Lamb also just trying to think of names off the top of my head. That's not necessarily, you know, a team that, you know, I'm putting all my eggs into their basket saying, you know, in a few years, they're going to be superior. They're going to be at the top. You know, this is a full rebuild. They're going into tank mode. I don't know. I, I think Indiana won the, uh, the Sacramento trade with Sabonis. I think getting Halliburton and Buddy Heald is huge for them. But I just think in the immediate future, they're losers right now. I don't see them going really anywhere anytime soon. Um, just just Indiana with, with the East as wide open as it is, uh, they're the first team, you know, or one of the first teams where we can clearly say, oh, they're tanking for a draft pick. You could say that with uh, them, Detroit, and uh, Orlando as those three, the ones who are definitely tanking. But like I said, it's still early on. There's still plenty of moves still to be made before the trade deadline hits at 3 p.m. today. you can't talk about the sports world but talking about the winter olympics they just got underway last week and i'm gonna be totally honest i have not kept up with most of the olympics you know i've i've sat down and watched a few events but i haven't been solely dedicated into you know watching them every single time but i have been able to watch some of the highlights and it's been at least for the united states it's been a really mixed bag of results so far in Beijing, you know, I wrote down briefly that there were seven total medals. That number is obviously increased to, I think it's like 10. Got a couple gold medals in there. But I mean, of course, you can't talk about these Olympics and the U.S. without Michaela Schifrin. I mean, I was shocked to see her lose her first two events. All the events where she was favored. You had the giant slalom where she crashed 11 seconds into a race and then she missed the gate in the following race in five seconds. I mean, I was blown away, you know, in just reading all the reports. I mean, this could be one of the um, best Olympic, uh, best Olympians if she continued to stay perfect, but obviously that wasn't the case. And um, what's, what's funny is that I, I don't really, you know, I'm not totally going to bury her for, for losing this because I mean, when you read about her story, it's one of my favorite. She's one of my favorite athletes, you know, after learning about it, you know, if you don't know, she's openly talked about her emotional struggles since losing her dad uh, right before the pandemic. And then she tested positive for COVID in December. She had to take some time on the sidelines and just being honest and open about it just makes me feel good. You know, I wish a few more athletes were, were quite like that. And you know, I still think she's going to be regarded as one of the best American skiers of all time. And the good thing for me, at least, is that she's still got three events that she can participate in and compete in. 
starts this Friday taking on the Super G competition. And I really hope she she does that, you know, because I I do compare it, you know, to Simone Biles in the uh, the Summer Olympics, you know, when she had the twisties, you know, this is kind of the same thing for uh, Schifrin, but I think just going out there and, and being confident, it is big, you know, for, for Schifrin, you know, a lot of self-doubt is we're, we're being heard after these events, you know, she was in tears. She sat on the side of the mountain for about 20 minutes. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of upsetting, but that's why you just root for her even more. And I think Schifrin is the kind of athlete who I think is going to be able to turn things around. And even if she doesn't, I think we can still be proud as Americans to see her go out there and at least give it her all. So, I mean, that's, that's a bad sign for the Olympics, but let's talk about a good sign for the U S getting their first medal and not just the U S's first medal in these Olympics, but Lindsay Jacob Ellis getting the first medal of her career in the snowboard snowboard cross. Now, this is a feel good story. If I've ever seen one, I mean, this is, in snowboard cross, essentially what it is, is snow downhill snowboard racing, essentially is what it is. Now, for Jacob Ellis, her story, this is her fifth Olympics, her first gold medal, and she's 36 years old. She's the oldest snowboarder, male or female, to win a medal. But to me, it's redemption for 2006. Because if you remember in 2006, she was leading the snowboard cross she decided to showboat, do a little trick, you know, I think it's like a grab or something, and she fell, and she wound up not winning. This is redemption right there. Obviously, she didn't do a trick on the last jump, but just the fact that she came into her fifth Olympics, which could be her last one. I mean, let's be honest. Would she go to the 2026 20, Olympics as a 40-year-old? I don't think she would, so this was probably her last Olympics, you know, similar to Sean White, he's 35. It'll be his last Olympics. This is great. And essentially, her last try, Jacob Ellis dominates the field, wins the race, gets her first gold medal at 36 years old. She redeems herself in 2006. That is the feel good uh, so far in the Olympics for the USA, is seeing Jacob Ellis get in there and basically right the wrong, essentially. Her very first Olympics, she was going to win it. She was going to win it in 2006. She decides to showboat, which we've seen numerous times in numerous sports, you know, showboating or doing taunting like that. And you don't come up with the victory. I think this is great redemption for Jacob Ellis. And for right now, to me, one of the best moments for the U.S. in the Winter Olympics so far for 2022. But of course, last night was when the U.S. uh, really broke through in the medal count. You had Nathan Chen in the figure skating event. I mean... I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of figure skating. Let's keep that in mind. But watching uh, his routine, the way he's able to sink those uh, those spins and those jumps, you know, go from a quad to a, a triple, unbelievable. But my forte is more into the snowboarding, and that's where I go into Chloe Kim. And honestly, Chloe Kim turned into beast mode. That's what she did in the half pipe. I mean, that first run, I mean – What's great is about the analysts is that they actually know what they're doing. You know, these guys are well-versed in the action sports or in like X games, stuff like that. You know, I'm not as totally in tune with like winter action sports as opposed to uh, summer action sports, like, you know, dirt bikes, skateboarding, stuff like that. But Chloe Kim and watching her first run 
in the half pipe, unbelievable. I mean, two 1080s back to back. No other woman was doing that in her run. It was unreal, unreal to, to see Chloe Kim like that. And it was like pure domination. You look at the score that she got. It was a 94 second place, I think, was sitting at like an 83 after the first runs or something like that. And I think the closest anyone got was like maybe like an 86 or an 88. I'm not 100 percent sure. But just to see Chloe Kim turn on beast mode, incredible to watch. Absolutely incredible to watch her. And what was great is like after the run, when she gets down, she was like, took a big sigh of relief. And she was just like, oh, my gosh. Then she had tears, like talking with her uh, coaches saying like, that was a really tough practice. And then all she had to do, she didn't even have to worry anymore. But here she was thinking, okay, I think I'm going to try for a 1260. That's never happened. And obviously she didn't pull it and as you saw if you saw her instagram story she said her bum hurts so (laughs) that's that's the great thing about chloe kim is like she's still she's still young she's only in her early 20s and she's just treating every day like it's the best day in the world she has the best job in the world and that's what i think people gravitate towards uh with chloe kim is that she's just your your average girl she she went to college and stuff like that and yet she's a, a multiple-time gold medalist in the Winter Olympics in the halfpipe. So proud of all our Americans for showing up to Beijing and giving it their all in the Olympics. And hopefully the U.S. can add some more medals to their count before the end of the Olympics. time for our let's get local segment of the weekend but before we get into it i do want to acknowledge because we are still recording at the time of this nba trade james harden and paul Millsap to the 76ers for ben simmons seth curry andre drummond and two first round picks so i just want to acknowledge that out there for everyone saying hey what happened to the ben simmons james harden trade why didn't you acknowledge that i did acknowledge it we'll talk more about it next week but we got to talk about our local Boston teams. And it's been kind of quiet in the Boston area. Obviously the, the Pats have been quiet, you know, their season's obviously done. The Bruins just came back and obviously the MLB is in a lockout, but before we get deep into it, I want to talk about Mac Jones. Speaking of the Patriots, did anyone see Mac Jones at the pro bowl? This guy is pure fun. Absolutely fun. Not only just the 70 yard run that ended in the gritty that didn't even count, but just the video when you watch him mic'd up talking to all the other pro bowlers, this is just showing how much fun he can be and how much fun of a leader he can be, you know, with how, how many guys can really get behind him if he's so fun, laid back, stuff like that. But he's also got a serious side. We know he does his homework. We know his game preparation is uh, the best among the rookies. And then to see him have fun like that, busting out the gritty after – his 70-yard run that didn't even count. And then, you know, the mic'd up with the fun trash talk and uh, all those funny moments. I mean, hopefully we get to see more of this in his sophomore year. Because I think, you know, most rookies might be kind of like tensed up, especially if you're a rookie quarterback leading the New England Patriots under Bill Belichick. You might become a little stiff. And we saw, you know, little glimpses 
you know, of him, you know, making Belichick laugh and smiling and all that. But I think he gained some more fans after the Pro Bowl, just seeing how loose and fun he can be. So I, I give, I really hope we see more of that from Mac Jones. Cause I think that's, what's going to make more people gravitate towards him. And who knows, maybe the Patriots could even get some more fans out of it by having Mac Jones under center. We'll just have to see uh, what happens with that, but that's for a game that doesn't count. Let's talk about the games that do count with the Boston Celtics. And let me tell you, they are rolling. And I mean, rolling. They've won six straight games, eight of their last nine. And I think they ultimately got into people's rearview mirror after Brooklyn's win. Now, essentially, it was Brooklyn's JV squad, essentially. But they got out to a 28-2 start, and they won 126-91. to And they sent Brooklyn into their ninth straight loss and essentially sent them into this big Ben Simmons-James Harden deal. Now, I will say that, you know, let's not overreact, okay? Because the schedule has been kind of light i mean aside from charlotte every team they've beaten has been majorly hurt or they just stink now just some of the numbers they've led by at least 20 in five of their six games their average margin of victory is 20 and a half points and they've won by 30 points four times during this winning streak that's very very impressive and i go back you know i talked about how they've turned it around with their rotation, but more so the way they've turned it around on defense has been extremely impressive for me. When you look at the numbers, this is the best defensive team in the NBA since Christmas. If you look at the stats right now, they're fourth overall in opponents points per game and point differential. The only team during their six game winning streak who have scored over a hundred are the Hornets, which they won and they haven't trailed in a game since two minutes and 41 seconds left in the first half versus Charlotte, okay? You got to keep in mind, that was two weeks ago. They haven't even trailed since, not even two zip or one zip, anything like that. And that's just the foundation of successful Celtics teams in the past is a great defense. You've got Marcus Smart doing his usual defensive thing while being a great facilitator. Coming off the bench, you got great two-way guys in Grant Williams. And Josh Richardson, but more so it's the starting lineup, the way they're getting out to a, uh, such quick starts, you know, really early on. I think that is all part of Al Horford and Rob Williams learning to work together in a two big lineup. Cause I mean, let's be honest, like who would have thought that a lineup with Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Al Horford, Robert Williams was going to be so successful at this point you know not many because you've got al horford who's he can be a pick and pop guy but he can also be a strong center at the defensive end and then you got rob williams who's basically having the best year of his career and he's learning how to uh basically move around off the ball so much better he's not just you know getting lost out there and hovering around in the paint so i think the combination of those two guys working together because we know what smart can do we know what the two jays can do to see Al and Rob work together in this two big lineup. Cause I mean, if you asked me, I would have thought, you know, at the beginning of the year to put Schroeder and smart in the backup, put Tatum at the four and then Rob Williams at the five. I wouldn't have thought Horford being in the starting lineup alongside of Williams down low would have been successful, but here they are. 
They've won six straight, eight of their last nine, and they're just playing great together. And I never would have thought that at all. But, I mean, offensively, they're doing great, but I'm more so impressed with the defense. I mean, looking at offense, great ball movement. They're taking the pressure, which I said was very crucial, off of Tatum and Brown. Tatum and Brown don't have to put up 39 or 40 every single time. You can get guys like Marcus Smart to put up 22 against Brooklyn or Josh Richardson, 23 off the bench against Charlotte. Now, that's what I think has been really crucial, you know, heading into this trade deadline is that they're finding the pieces around those two guys that are working. Smart, Richardson, Horford, Williams, just to name a few. Now, I'm not going to overreact and say, oh, this team is now the best in the Eastern Conference. I'm not going to do that because the schedule is going to get tougher heading into the All-Star break. You got tomorrow night, they're going to take on the Nuggets at the Garden. Sunday, they'll take on the Hawks. And then they've got a back-to-back with uh, a newly revamped Philly team in Philadelphia, and then at home the next night against Detroit. Now, that's why, that's why you know, they've, they've played some really easy teams. They've had an injury-riddled Heat, obviously a JV Brooklyn team. Then you throw in Orlando, um, try and think of some other ones, um, just, just to name a few. You know, you got teams like that. So let's pump the brakes on saying this team is back. They're in a good spot, but they're not there yet. But what is funny about, you know, this kind of move is uh, it makes you think, you know, is trading Dennis Schroeder a good idea? Now, I did say I would accept a deal like in Milwaukee where they proposed Dante DiVincenzo for uh, Dennis Schroeder, but Milwaukee wanted to throw in Grant Williams, so that's a no from me. But Schroeder has gotten better in the last two games, 11 and 22 off the bench, respectively, in the last two games. I know from management, they're talking to Brad Stevens saying, just get us under the luxury tax. But I just, I, I think unless a really good deal, if you're going to get a good package in return, you're not just going to dump the guy because of salary. You're not just going to trade Schroeder for a pick or something like that. You want to get a good return in that. And who knows if it could be another big guy, maybe, you know, someone to play behind Schroeder. You know, we don't know that. We don't know about that about this Boston team, but just for now, if you're a green teamer, enjoy the streak that these guys are on right now, because who knows if it's going to be just like this, you know, come after the all-star break or within the next few games, even to say, but that's a Boston team. That's playing good. A team that's playing bad though, are the Bruins. And obviously they've only had one game coming out of the all-star break, but it was not a good showing against Pittsburgh. They led 2-0 after the first period. Two nice-looking goals from David Pasternak, scoring as he normally does. But then they give up four unanswered goals, three in the second period. They lose 4-2, to two, and they lose a bunch of players as well. Obviously, you got Patrice Bergeron, who left after he hit his head on the boards, after getting tangled up with Sidney Crosby. Now, the captain does have a history of concussions, so I feel like, with Bruce Cassidy and everyone else in management, they're going to take extra precautions, you know, because right now this Bruins team is still locked into a playoff spot. they are nine points clear of Detroit, uh, who's, who would be the next team to really take them out of that spot. So they've got plenty of time there. But now you add in Brad Marsha and getting suspended for six games for punching Tristan Jerry 
the Penguins goalie. And honestly, you know, I, I love Marshy. I love Brad Marshawn. And I know he can become a nuisance, but his nuisance and his frustration just has to be controlled. And the frustration just got the better of him. That's all it was for, for Marshawn. He was frustrated, you know, with this team was rolling heading into the all-star break. You know, obviously they did drop a few games, but since the COVID break, they're a totally different team. And then when they come out and put up a dud, you know, when they looked good early on, that's just Marshan getting frustrated. And obviously maybe part of it has to do with the end of the second period when uh, Marshan denied uh, Jerry from tossing a puck uh, into the crowd to a fan. I, I, I'm sure something like that is connected, but Marshan's just got to be smart. He's got to be smarter than that. He's got to be smarter than that. And now two of your top three players are now out of the lineup, which means they're probably going to go to Pasternak and Hall. Um, a lot more ice time for them. Probably going to have to move up Charlie Coyle uh, into the first line. Some more play time for McAvoy. Just everyone's going to have to get more ice time on offense. But defensively is where they struggled against Pittsburgh, allowing the two goals in 28 seconds from Dalton Heinen. You know, just some really bad turnovers costing them, allowing those three second period goals. And it doesn't get any easier, you know, taking on Carolina tonight. That's no easy task, especially when you saw, you know, them absolutely dominate you last time they were in the garden, seven to three. And now with Martian suspended six games, you have to look at the rest of the schedule and see how can you manage this? You know, you've got Carolina. Ottawa, New York, New York, Ottawa, and then uh, Colorado. And that's your six games right there. If you go three and three, then I think that's, that's manageable because you don't want any kind of, you know, losing streak, you know, a game, the game against Carolina, the game against Colorado, that might be difficult to, to pull out a W on that one. But if you beat the teams like Ottawa or you beat the teams like the Islanders where you, you feel like, you can beat them. That's going to be huge for this Boston team. And that's going to give them a lot more confidence right then and there. But of course, that's what's going on on the ice, off the ice. Obviously last night was the big announcement for Tuka Rask. He announced his retirement. He just could not come back from that hip injury. And it's another loss for the Bruins. But to be completely honest, I really wasn't a big fan of his signing anyway, because I can get behind Linus Allmark and Jeremy Swayman as goalies. I mean, they've been able to keep this team steady. They've been able to keep the team steady and they haven't been the reason why they have, they were struggled in the first half of the year, but to talk about, you know, legacy for Tuca, you know, he's going to go down as one of the best Bruins goaltenders of all time, but he could just never win the big one. I mean, he's got the most wins and games played, in franchise history. He won the Vesna trophy in 2014. His records 306, 163 and 66, but he could just never win the big one as a starter. Now he does get credit with a Stanley cup. He did win as Tim Thomas's backup in 2011, but he got to all these big moments. They got to the cup in 13. They got to the cup in 19. I mean, look at in 13 against Chicago, two goals in about 17 seconds to lose the Stanley cup on your home ice. Then you lose to St. Louis. Then you go into the bubble and he just didn't have the motivation there. And then last year in the playoffs just did not look like himself with the hip injury. So 
you know, I do salute Tuca on a, a, a great career. I mean, no one's put up goalie numbers at, for the Boston Bruins as he's did. But in terms of, you know, winning the big one, he never did that. He never did that. That's why it's like kind of a little bit of an asterisk in terms of being a Hall of Famer because he does get credit with a ring and a championship, but that's as a backup. Let's talk about what he did as a starter. And he won a bunch of games, but just didn't didn't pull through. You know, it's kind of it's kind of similar to like the Dodgers in baseball. They've been successful and successful and successful, and they've only won one championship. You know, they've gotten to the dance multiple times, but they just haven't won it. So that's kind of how I see the legacy of Tuka Rask. But the good news for the Bruins is that they can reset now that they know about their goaltending situation with Swayman and Allmark. And we'll see if the Bruins and the Celtics can continue their winning ways. as always to end our show we look at our lol moment of the week and this week's moment is going to luka Doncic, the mavs superstar now what what puts him into this moment well let me explain this was in pregame earlier in the week you got dwight powell basically kind of a fun trick shot or whatever and Luca's kind of making like a self hoop or whatever. And what is it? What does the ball do? It goes through, but it hits him uh, right in the private parts. If you're, you talk to any kind of man out there, they tell you that that kind of hit is not fun. It's not fun. It's basically a whole system reset, essentially what it is. I just watched a, a Robin Williams special and they were talking about, Oh, how was the, the male, you know, constructed? Uh, how are the male and female women parts? Put together that's that's where i got the inspiration from but just looking at the video you know he had to really just <laughs> it's almost like he got taken out essentially but he tried to create a little self hoop and the ball just hit him right in a right in the sensitive area so it's it's never a good feeling i've been a I've, I've felt it a couple of times, you know, I won't get into it too much. I don't know how many uh, female listeners we have out there, but it's not fun. It's not fun. And good thing that wasn't so debilitating where he had to leave that game. You know, it, it would be really sad if he couldn't play in the game, if he couldn't play in the all-star game, just by making that fun kind of move. And now I know for a fact that Dwight Powell is going to get told, do not shoot three pointers. If Luca is under the basket, do not do that at all. I'm sure Jason Kidd and maybe even Luca might say that. But of course, Luca's going to laugh it off saying like, oh, I did that to myself. You know, I, I tried to make the, the hoop or whatever. But I know with a superstar like that, you don't want to take any chances at all. You don't want to take any chances. So I know for a fact, you know, that that's probably going to be talked about a little bit, you know, within the Mavs organization just as sort of a fun thing, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure they'll just brush it off, you know, cause it was accidental. Obviously it wasn't anything on purpose, but I know that Dwight Powell is not going to be shooting threes while Luka Doncic is under the basket. I know that's going to happen in the game plan at some point. And good thing Luka was able to recover from that, you know, that self-induced injury. So Luka for, uh, 
getting some kind of injury that uh, is very rarely happens, you've landed yourself into this week's LOL moment of the week. So that does it for this edition of Let Me Speak. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. If you're watching us on YouTube or listening to us wherever you get your uh, podcasts, either Spotify or Apple, make sure you follow our pages on social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. All you got to do is search Let Me Speak Podcast. And remember, as always, if you got a point, you got to get across. Just let the whole world know. Shut up and let me speak.